This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and you are listening to the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing episode 410 of Discovery called The Galactic Barrier, and boy is there a lot to talk about. But first, we will start as always with the news, and this is a kind of a funny one, especially after all the discussion last week about a new Kelvin Universe movie and all of our talk saying there's no way that they would make this announcement without having talked to the cast surprise (laughs) they didn't well last week we you know it was noted they hadn't you know they were opening negotiations but according to the hollywood reporter the whole thing came as a surprise the investor day announcement jj abrams saying you know we're doing this movie and that is definitely surprising that i'm still having a hard time believing it I did notice that The Hollywood Reporter was talking specifically about the agents of the actors. So in theory, it's possible some of the, I mean, I, I like the way Simon Pegg was talking a couple of weeks ago, it appeared like he knew this, you know, he was waiting for JJ to say, yes, it's coming. Right. Like there was some kind of ongoing conversation that had already begun. But there's a difference between that and actual negotiations with agents, which I think hadn't started. That's clear. But I don't necessarily buy that none of the actors knew this was in the works at all. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to make that announcement and to have JJ come out and say it. Yeah. So I think what's happening here is, which is a big deal, which is, you know, they they don't have a budget yet because they haven't locked these guys down to deals. Now, there were previous deals in place and they could just pay them what those deals were and that kind of makes this pretty easy actually they could say fine we'll just pay you what we said we were going to do back in 2016 can they do that i mean with all this time passing assuming the options have been re-upped yeah i mean that's how contracts work that's how the thing fell apart in 2018 if you remember so right they cut deals before beyond came out they assumed beyond was going to make a lot and they were ready to pay them even more for the fourth movie. Then Beyond didn't make as much as they wanted. Paramount basically started falling apart in general. The CEO left and they said, well, we want to make another one, but we want you to take less money. And Chris Pine said no. Yeah, because, you know, why would you? Right. And they had agreed, <laughs> they agreed to X and they're like, take half of X. We don't know what the number was, but it was, you know, a fraction of X. And he said, no, I want X. And um, right. now the Hollywood Reporter noted, you know, they kind of screwed their own leverage, Paramount, by announcing this yeah. and they're in a better financial position and, you know, they they may actually now feel like it's worth it to pay what they were going to pay back then because of how things have changed with streaming. and Well, and they're not trying to add uh, Chris Hemsworth to that package either. Right. He was always a wild card. You know, I think it comes down to Chris and Zoe. I think the the rest of them are going to be easy to get, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, nothing, you know, against that. I think they're all great, but Zoe and Chris are the most in demand. And the yeah, I mean, paid. I would say Carl Urban's pretty busy. So that's more of a probably just a scheduling issue. Right. Absolutely. They're, and they, they're, they're all working. And, yeah, they're all they're all busy. Yeah, so scheduling is going to be a thing, and you know, money will be a thing. Um, but I still don't think this is like 2018 when it fell apart over money. I don't think this is as 
this is not great news, but I don't think it's dire news. I think this is just means that, you know, the, the thing that I worry about is budget creep where the set thing ends up costing too much money and then it could, and it can't make enough money to pay for the amount it costs, which is what happened with beyond. Right. Um, and because one of the things is the longer they wait, the more it costs because you have to pay more overtime in post-production. And that really adds a lot, which is why one of the reasons why they want to start shooting in the fall, which gives them a longer post. Otherwise, they're going to miss their release date. So, you know, I've always said these things are a house of cards or a Jenga tower and you pull, you know, you know, and, and, and Chris pine and the rest of the cast definitely have their fingers on some of those pieces now but uh, they haven't pulled them out yet yeah i mean they do all really want to work together again and do it again but they're also you know working people in the industry and they're gonna leverage what they can so i i you know i'm still where i was last week which is it's between zero and 100 percent, but i think it's <laughs> it's over 50 it's not 100 for sure yeah, I just thought it was maybe closer to like 65 and now I'm going to like 52. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at uh, 54.7. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to talk about Star Trek Picard because there's a lot of Picard stuff happening. There is a lot of Picard stuff happening. Even though there's three more episodes of Discovery, as you probably know, for in their enlightened wisdom, Paramount Plus has decided to roll out Star Trek Picard while the last three weeks of Discovery Season 4 are happening. So next week we get two episodes. Fantastic. Yeah, so block out some extra time, everybody, to listen to our podcast because it's going to take a little longer. Yeah, it's going to be a long <laughs> podcast next week. So to get you ready, there was a junket last week. Lori and I prepped a bunch of questions. I did the junket. Uh, it was one of those virtual junkets, and we're able to do interviews with cast. And Akiva Goldsman was the only behind-the-scenes person there. Well, except Patrick Stewart's technically an executive producer. And uh, we've been rolling out some of these interviews on the site. You know, just to be clear, these are, like we've done before, these are group interviews. So it's like a mini press conference, essentially. And, uh, you know, maybe one of the questions comes from Trek Movie. The rest are coming from all sorts of people. Lots of people. Those rooms are packed. You know, and we know these people. You know, people like Ian Spelling is there and the guy from Trek Corps is there. You know, so it's 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 all, you know, we all wave at each other in the Zoom room before the <laughs> yeah. thing starts. I've made friends in those rooms. Like, I end up keeping in touch with people. It's funny. Yeah, there's fun discussions in the Zoom room, you know, as we're waiting for Patrick Stewart to become available. So, you know, these are these can be fun events, but it does, you know, because you, you, you're sitting in a Zoom room for, you know, two hours. Right. Let's start with John Delancey. So he's made it very clear there is something Q wants in season two, and he's running out of time, and he wants Picard to do it. Um, a particular quote he said is, the stakes are higher. What I need to have Picard go through now actually affects me, meaning Q. So my stakes are higher as well. Right. And I feel like in the... In most of our encounters with Q in the past, it's usually just Q kind of messing with Picard and messing with everybody. Occasionally there was something personal at stake, but usually he's just messing with everybody. And so this is a, a big shift that there are big stakes for him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there was the time he was turned mortal. Um, 
That was yeah, or when he needed help with his son. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like these are bigger stakes. I, I'm still, you know, my theory is still that he is dying or ending or the continuum's ending mm-hmm. or something. There's some kind of time thing happening where it's all going to end and he needs Picard to do a thing to help that. Although it's very interesting wondering what Picard can do that Q can't. Yeah, I mean, that's baffling, actually. (laughs) But uh, that's what season two is all about. You know, he's a big part of the season. Um, He's in six episodes. You know, that's kind of the big spoiler. You know, was there, you know, any anything else from the interview you picked up on that you thought was noteworthy? No, with him, that was I thought the main I mean, he mentioned it several times in answering different types of questions. He kind of kept circling back to that. So I think that that's just this big, weird mystery that we have to figure out. One thing I I liked is he talked about the relationship with Q and Picard, and he talked about it as, as a, in a relationship of love, obviously yeah. not, not romantic love, but I, I thought that was interesting. And when asked if this is it for, for Q and Picard, and for him as Q, he, he did the actor thing to say, well, every time you work, it's the last time you're going to work. Yeah, he said, I thought Encounter at Farpoint was the last time. But he did kind of say, if this is it, I'm, you know, I'm proud of this. I think this is a great last hurrah, basically, if this is the last, last time. Right. Um, and uh, so. Which seems likely. I'm all, yeah, I mean, just. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they bring him back again for season three, but it's like, what's the point? You know, I mean, he's you know he's such a big part of season two, you know. But yeah, you know, maybe there's some kind of th- re- good reason for season three. So the one of the other interviews you guys, this giant gang of people, got to do was with um, Akiva Goldsman, who sort of ta- was trying to talk about the difference between the seasons and the themes. So he said one of the things he said I thought was interesting was that if season one was about resurrection, then season two is redemption. So and and talked about how it's also about the lack of connection and relationships, which is definitely an interesting take on Picard, who is a very solitary dude. Yeah, absolutely. And this goes back to something that actually came from our interview with Kirsten Beyer. If you listen to that supplemental, which came out a few days ago when she talked about season two. She talked about how it's about Picard's past and going further back than season one did, where season one kind of dealt with his recent past with the Romulans and all that. This is something more personal, more deeply rooted in his core personality. Yeah, like before he became the legendary captain that he is. Yes, and we've seen elements of that in some of the trailers. There's a kid in there, you know, so, you know, basically. Baby it, Picard. Well, not baby, but, you know. I know. I just say baby when I mean younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, he talked about, uh, this is Akiva again, about the Borg Queen. He said the Borg Queen serves a different function here. It's a reductive way of saying it, but her relationship to connectivity is binary. She's either connected to all things or totally disconnected. And so when you're talking about intimacy and relationships, she's unique in that way. 
And the closest partner she has is Dr. Gerardi because she's isolated in her world too. And what you'll see as the season emerges is it's a lot about pairs of people and how we formed those kinds of pairs. So I think there's a couple of things to unpack in there. So one is the thing about pairs and the idea of Gerardi and the Borg Queen as a duo is very interesting. And then I think what he's trying to say at the beginning is that it's not the Borg Queen with a big cube full of Borgs. I just like saying Borgs um, (laughs) because it annoys my husband. Um, (laughs) Coming to get people and assimilate. This This is a very different situation. Well, and it's a different Borg queen. And, you know, we've already talked about how the, this is a queen from the alternate universe. So this would be a queen that maybe, you know, never assimilated Picard. So has a different relationship with Picard. Right. But we could definitely see how Gerardi and the queen are seen together a lot in these trailers. And we know Seven and Rafi are together a lot. So that's obviously another pair I am intrigued by Gerardi and Borg Queen because I, you know, Gerardi's such a, you know, she's got a certain Tilly-like quality, right? Of just bursting out with things right. and very connected to her emotions and her inner dialogue. So I like the idea of that pair up very much. I could see the Borg Queen rolling her eyes if the Borg Queens do that at things <laughs> Gerardi says. <laughs> Yeah, they, I can see a lot of conflict there for sure. Yeah. You know, one thing he's also made clear is that Android Picard is just Picard. I, you know, it sounds right. like they're not really. They're not leaning into it. How's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was resurrected. It was just the mechanism by which he was rec- resurrected. But he's not really anything special you know he doesn't have he's not like data or sochi you know with superpowers right i mean normally i would be sort of annoyed at the idea that they do this great big thing and just ignore it but if since i didn't think it was a great choice then i'm sort of okay with that how about you it was just a way to bring him back from the dead you know spock was essentially the same when they brought him back it's just a it's just a mechanism like many others. But normally that would be a big issue. Like you could do a whole season of someone trying to adjust to that. I would read the novel of somebody trying to adjust to that and what it means for them. So it is it is an odd choice, but not a terrible one, given that the first choice, you know, they wanted a death scene. Yeah. And if they were going to have a death scene, they had to bring him back to life somehow. And it was a a strange thing to do and then ignore, but okay. But there was a poetry to it because of his whole mission to save the synths and stuff like that. So um, I'm fine with it just because if you remember the weird philosophical debate that started with Memory Alpha, where they couldn't decide whether the android Picard was a new character, meaning because they have to technically create a new page for a new character, you know, like mirror Kirk is not the same page as Kirk. It's a different, completely different history, completely different personality. It's funny because when I'm sure when they're writing these shows, nobody's thinking about those things. And that I'm sure was a huge, big deal to the people behind the scenes trying to figure out. I mean, the people behind the scenes at memory alpha trying to figure out what to do. And in the end, they decided that it is one page 
like Spock, where he died and came back to life. And there are other examples of that as well. So I'm fine with that. He's essentially the same character. He just, you know, happens to be in a robot body. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Robot. (laughs) So we're recording this podcast on Thursday. They just released the Ready Room, the Will Wheaton after show for Discovery, but it also includes a lot of stuff on Picard. Yeah, I didn't have time to watch any of it yet. So have you had a chance to look at it? Quick skim, as it were. But this will go up on the site. So by the time you get this podcast out, it'll it'll already be on the site and it's on YouTube. There's just a little package there of all the actors from Picard talking about their characters and where they start the season. And they show little glimpses of them. And, you know, these are spoilers. So, uh, you know, little things like, you know, there's been a lot of time. There's a big time gap. Seven has rejoined the Rangers um, and is running around on Rios's ship. Rios is back in Starfleet. Uh, Picard is back in Starfleet. Rafi is back in Starfleet. Picard is at Starfleet Academy. And Elnor is a cadet at Starfleet Academy. And you see all these little elements. Because of the junket, we have, you know, they show us the episode. So we've seen episode one. This is all kind of stuff that you're going to get in, you know, basically the first few minutes of episode one anyway. So they're just kind of setting up the season. So this is definitely not a one minute after the season finale season. I mean, they're, they're doing a pretty big time gap to really get these characters into different places, you know, mentally and physically. Mm hmm. Check out the site. We'll have the full breakdown of that. There are a few more things that Akiva said just to keep in mind as you are getting ready to watch Picard, which is there's been a lot of talk. Is this three seasons? Is this going to go longer? So but he did say he reiterated something that we know, which is that the show has always been planned for three seasons. So he he says the door isn't closed. Like if if CBS and Patrick Stewart and everybody really wanted to do another one, he thinks of course they would do it but right now the current plan is season three is the end he also cleared up something else he'd given an interview sfx magazine where he talked to they said you know if you could do any kind of star trek show what would it be and he had this whole actually a very fun riff on an anthology show with different characters and a lot of sites picked that up as that's something that's being planned but he was very direct and said nope there are zero plans for that he was just riffing and being whimsical. Yeah, you know, even though he had a name for it, Tales of the Federation. He just yeah. <laughs> he he just made it. I mean, he does have an Oscar, which he'll let he you. Likes to tell people, I'm told. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he just made that up on the spot. Um, we did talk about this on the podcast a few weeks ago. I mean, it is an intriguing idea. I think it's too expensive of an idea. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how that works. If you just do one episode, you got to bring, you know, how do you bring Archer back and build a world around him all for one episode? But I don't know, maybe maybe there's a way to make it work. Um, I know fan, I think, a lot of fans love this idea. Well, it's a cool idea. I just think it's it's especially challenging to do an anthology in a sci-fi futuristic world. Yeah, because the costs are tremendous. And the way you ease those costs is you build a bridge set and use it for 13 episodes. There are too many challenges. I mean, it's a nice idea, but yeah, it's not a real thing that's being planned. I do think there are things being planned. 
more than we know about. And certainly something that Terry Metalis brought up about the idea of spinoffs, I think he's at least seriously thinking about it. But, you know, is it being planned? Who knows? The only things we kind of know are being planned are the Section 31 show and the Starfleet Academy show. Those have been heavily telegraphed as being announced sometime this year to be going into production for, you know, release in 2024, maybe. Right. So we've got some merchandise news. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Playmates showed their first wave of stuff. And I noted it was a little weird that none of the things included prodigy things. So this week they revealed their first wave of prodigy things. And these are coming this year, this fall, most of them. Um, and they're figures of basically all the characters. So doll, the doll figure is going to have Murph, Gwyn, Jankum, Zero, Janeway. And for some reason, the rock talk is coming next year. I think it's to torment me and yeah. make me wait. Although it's really a plush rock talk I'm waiting for, and that's not what this is. No. These are like five-inch figures. And they've said that there's more coming next year. And we actually just saw from a video from CBS, Viacom CBS, now Paramount Consumer Products, a picture that shows the Prodigy ship playset. I want that too. With a pop-off saucer <laughs> section. So there's definitely more coming. It's exciting. It is. I'm waiting for all that stuff. And I assume it'll be reasonably affordable since it's for, they're thinking more kid, less collector, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, they know it's a, it's a combo of half. I mean, just like, with yeah. Star, just like with Star Wars, but the, these are things that are priced reasonably, not very expensive for sure. Right. It's not like uh, the $500 set that you can get for so many other no. things. No, that was insane. All right, so let's move on to talk about episode 10 of season four, Galactic Barrier. The Galactic Barrier. Why don't you start off with your first thoughts? So I've been thinking about this a lot this morning, which is the theme of the season, as they've told us so many times, is uncertainty. And it's such a, a challenging concept to hang a whole season on. Right. Because part of my frustration has been that every week we find out some little thing and then we find out it isn't true. And the episode opens with Kovic basically saying we thought this, we think this, we can't count on anything. And I have to say that it makes for a frustrating season. <laughs> so because there's so much we don't know. And so I felt like this episode was just, you know, a lot of that same kind of stuff like we still don't know things and we had a few things revealed that were sort of anticlimactic i thought the whole tarka story reveal while i enjoyed it and i really liked that character it was kind of anticlimactic because i kept thinking that there was some other thing going on and what this seemed to indicate is no it's exactly what he said it was a handful of episodes ago i remember early on in first couple episodes i was making the point that yeah they don't know what's going on and they keep on thinking this and it's wrong that's the point that's the theme it's mm -hmm. reinforcing the theme and i was saying now you get it it's helping build this you know allegory to the pandemic and how we didn't know what's going on and so i was like all on board last 
November for this. Um, but now I'm like, you know, okay. It's like, we get it. You, you could stop that now. Right. Although then I guess it wouldn't be the theme anymore. I know it's a tough one. Like it's, it's, it's hard to hitch your wagon to uncertainty in a show where we're used to getting answers. Yeah. Or at least knowing what questions to ask or raising the right questions. And here, I mean, there's just so little to to latch onto. <laughs> Certainly when it comes to the season arc plot, I think this episode did deliver some really good character stuff. Mm-hmm. And Anne Cafell Saunders, that's what she's good at. That's what this episode's good at. It did give us the kind of Tarka backstory we wondered about. All of my what's going on with him and the I you know, that's all kind of settled now in a way. But were you were you disappointed that it was pretty much exactly what he said? Or were you okay with that? I thought there might have been more to it, but I I, I wouldn't say that I was disappointed. I thought, you know, all of the flashbacks were good and the both he and the guest actor I thought were strong. I loved the guest actor. I thought he did great. I thought the character was great, the makeup was great, and the acting was good. Strong. I thought all the stuff with the president and Michael, this was kind of the end of their arc, which makes me feel like the president's not going to make it. Yep. Because <laughs> she's now completed, you know, her arc with Michael, where now they're friends and they've worked out all of their issues. And the mysterious vice president is in charge. Yes. <laughs> Who isn't Kovic, I don't, you know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is because he is everything, right? I know. Um, or there's 50 Kovic's. So I thought she was really good in this episode and that was really good. So there's lots of little, little character beats. Certainly, you know, they basically took a whole episode to go through the galactic barrier. Well, I, I feel like this, I hate to say it, but I feel like this season would have benefited from fewer episodes given this particular arc because we just, it's just too little each time. And again, I get that's the theme, but it's a really frustrating theme. <laughs> Perhaps the good news is that the next season is going to be 10 episodes. Maybe this writer's room is good at coming up with ideas that could fill out 10 episodes, but struggle with 13. Even though oddly in the first season, they decided they needed 15. But I, I feel like those first season episodes were way more packed. There was a lot more happening in each one. Yeah. And I think what's happening is we get these, it's just, it feels slow, partially because the hiatus didn't help. But also, I mean, the the problems and the solutions are not things that may, that always impact the greater story. Like, oh, we thought we could go through this way. Oh, it's going to take too long. Okay, now we have to go through another way. It just was, I mean, it looked visually cool, but it, it didn't, later we're not going to care or remember that they thought they could go through a bubble, but then they got stuck, so they did something else. A lot of time and effort seemed to be setting things up in this episode. There were interesting things that were happening that we don't get to know anything about. So Kovic, he's not going on the mission because he's got something else to do. What is that other thing? We don't it's, know. <laughs> right. It's he's it's a secret and he intends to keep it that way about this secret other important thing that's more important than the destruction of everything. Right. Which <laughs> part of me feels like they're just that's all part of his mystery and we'll never even find out what this other thing is. Yeah, I I don't think we're going to find out what it is. Yeah. (laughs) I think it was reason to have him not go on the ship. um, And I'll get into later why I think 
who went yep. and who goes and who didn't go was pretty important. Michael makes this mention offhand out of nowhere about some planet. Oh, at the end, you mean? Yeah, that's probably going to be an away mission and they are probably going to find like a an important clue to species 10C, but you know, we don't that's for a future episode. You know, and there's something going on with Bryce, another person left behind, and his, yep. you know, important project that they keep on mentioning. So that's <laughs> that's going to pay off someday, we hope. Let's hope they do. They just <laughs> drop it every once in a while. They just remind us that it's there. Bryce is busy. He's got this thing, you know. He's big... excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're one of those guys who's watching the show just for the plot and the action, like, you know, I want sci-fi stuff to happen and I want the progression of the the season arc you this is an extremely frustrating episode if you're watching discovery for you know the emotion and the character dynamics this is a strong episode i guess so i mean i have the same criticism that i've had before which is that i wish they could find a way to have those character moments during action like i always think back to let's say deep space 9 and how o'brien and bashir would be their relationship was happening while they were doing things, whether it was drinking or being in the holodeck or sometimes working on something. They were forced to team up and work on something together. And so it wasn't, they didn't just stop everything to have a conversation. And and this is just something that Disco does. I think it's part of their, it's weird to criticize something that's such an obvious, they want that. That's part of their thing that they're looking for. But there were so many conversations like that, that I thought this could have happened somewhere much more dynamic. How many times does the president and Burnham have to leave the room to have a yeah. little chat, you know, which we've seen over and over all yeah. season long. These let's go over here and we're going to talk about our feelings and do a little, you know, backstory exposition. We do learn more about Rillick. She's got a husband or partner. She refers to him. He's on earth for some, or on the moon for some reason. Yep. She was an ambassador for 20 years. Well, and her conversations with Michael needed to happen. I did keep picturing them using that cone of silence that they used when Michael talked to Book. <laughs> yeah. And then everybody would see them gesturing wildly and having reactions. I mean, obviously you can't do that. But it again, it would have been a little bit more interesting. Then let's go in the other room. Okay, again, let's go in the other room. Oh, we're going to go back in the other room. And I think the worst one of those was Stamets and Adira in the hallway. They're in the corner and they're just standing there. And then Michael stumbles across them and they have this weird, awkward conversation. And I just thought, what if they had been in the lab working and they could yeah. have woven in Adira doing something, working with Stamets, at which point Stamets, it would have been much more logical for Stamets to then turn to Michael and go, look, look what Adira just did. They just did this. They just did that. You know, more braggy of the more braggy parent, which I think is what Stamets was trying to do, than just a weird, nobody's going anywhere hallway conversation. I know the walk and talk is is a challenge to shoot, but it there's a reason people do it. It's just more interesting. I thought it was setting up something. I was almost worried for a second, like, oh, so Adira's going to do this tough thing where we're going to see that happen, right? We're going to see Adira in this room and there's going to be an explosion and it's going to be dramatic, right? And it's like, no. No, I mean, the point of it, which we are going to get into, was, I think, Adira saying, I'm okay with being separate from Grey. I think that Anthony Rapp was great in, in the second scene, the better scene of this little arc, 
when they're together in his lab and he's talking about his dad and we learn more about him. And I thought that was kind of sweet, even though it felt a little tacked on. It was definitely kind of filler. Yeah. As was this, you know, again, like the Saru arc with Tarina was a little fillery, but I love it because it's Saru and Tarina. And it's just like texting with kids, right? So he goes up to her and he kind of admits he likes her. And then... Oh, no, then it's horrible. Then she's about to respond and she goes, oh, excuse me. Sorry, yeah. I have to go. And I just, I mean, I actually loved that. It was so, I was just like, no, like, it's so painful. And he's about to go off on this mission. He might not come back from. What a time for her to not be able to answer him. And then, of course, it gets even better when he sees her again. And he's just so mortified. <laughs> Then he um, has his wingman, right? So Culber is now his buddy. Yep. For him to, you know, sort out all of these things. But you know what? I think this was a very Star Trek thing. A lot of people who watch, watch Star Trek, you know, a lot of people in general, maybe everyone, deals with insecurity and feeling vulnerable and feeling like they're alone. And this whole arc was about. You know, understanding you're not alone. Everyone goes through this. It's okay. You're going to make it. Everything's going to be fine. Well, and it, it's also just universal, which I loved. Like, I love when Saru says, I cannot envision any situation more awkward than this. Like, <laughs> it really is like everybody's worst sort of high school nightmare. Exactly. <laughs> that part I enjoyed. And it also did seem to be happening while other things were going on. This episode was called the Galactic Barrier, but the actual barrier was all of these barriers of communication. And of course, they got heavy handed with it by the little show and tell at the beginning of like, look, communicators, because this episode's about communication. Right. I know. <laughs> no, and they just kept saying there, I wish they also did like, thank you for sharing that. I feel like I heard that two or three times. You know, but I think that that, that theme came through well. And getting back to the uncertainty theme, one thing they did add on to that was, again, I think there was a political allegory here with the president and Michael talking about how you're my president and presidents need to show strength. There was a warning about the confirmation bias you know, and this all goes back to this this episode is written, you know, right in the heart of the, you know, early uh, 2020. Maybe this is summer 2020 during the pandemic. The DMA is an allegory for the pandemic. So there's a political message here, basically, as well. Yeah. Well, they made that pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been talking a lot about romance. I was... I'm not sure if I was surprised, but I, I did like the story of Oros and Tarka. It was yeah. a nice little love story. I I, I mean, there it seems like they're saying that it was a romantic relationship. Well, it was like the leaning on each other scene. That was yeah. the big one because it was a level of comfort that you would get with a... Well, I was sort of torn on it because I was like, well, it looks romantic there. It's also the way a parent and child would hang out. And it's also the way you know, friends, teenage friends hang out. Yeah. So there was, uh, I, they, I think they left it ambiguous on purpose. What I get from this, and, and there was an, an interesting explanation of why Tark is such a dick, is that 
apparently he was in isolation for years and he just has really bad people skills. That was a big piece of information. I mean, four or five years in isolation. Yeah. And so I think Oros is his only friend that he's ever had, maybe. And so whether or not it's romantic or not, it's maybe the only person he's ever loved. Yes. And he had a tremendous amount of guilt. You know, last week's podcast is saying, are they going to, you know, turn him into the villain of the season? And it, this episode pulled back from that to make him sympathetic again. Mm-hmm. You know, Book was about to dump him because you know, I was like, why is Book even hanging out with this guy? So I was glad at the beginning of this episode where Book is like, you're gone. I'm I'm leaving you on a planet and I'm with, never- with no electricity. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was a nice touch right? me too i thought that was hilarious that was very funny and i was so happy that he finally pulled a weapon on him because i just thought you should have done this a long time ago talk about uncertainty it seems like a crazy thing like even for both of them for oros too like we've heard of this place and my calculations say it's real and it's the most peaceful place ever and so now they're so determined to go there. And it just, I just don't feel like they have enough information to know right. anything about what's a Kyalese. Like it's a place beyond suffering. They said it's supposed to be the most peaceful place in the galaxy. And I'm like, that is a lot to invest in when you don't know anything about it. And how is a whole universe like this like every planet is like i'm envisioning the episode of the simpsons where homer's having the fantasy of the world made out of chocolate you know is that what (laughs) you know is that what it is i mean you know how do you have a whole universe like that so and and i'm just happy you gave me an excuse to post a link to that in our notes because it's one of my favorite (laughs) clips (laughs) the bigger thing is kind of the technology all of this is about the dma and the power of the dma which he needs to power this transporter but Oros was able to power it with a warp drive and geothermal energy, which is but he, nothing. Well, they, did, they said the camp runs off a massive geothermal energy source. So that yeah, was but, their way of saying, like, I think by saying massive, they thought they were covering that. I'm sorry, but no matter how <laughs> massive your geothermal energy is, it's nothing compared to boronite power, you know, yep. which you know go to the website to read my whole omega directive thing you know but it's it's not the in the same league at all you know we have geothermal power now this is the 32nd century it, it should be quaint the notion of geo you know so i thought that was just dumb but whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> i know and it's and i just enjoyed those scenes so much like all of my issues with that story or the specifics of it have nothing to do with how um engaging those scenes were and how good the acting was and and the emotion was very real all of that was really great i did enjoy the golden ratio i sort of did a little i'm not a mathematician but i just did a little investigating into that and it's a real thing and all i'm going to say is it's really worth um looking into because it is also something that it's for mathematicians also artists and architects off sometimes proportion their works to it and there's a whole salvador dali thing about the sacrament of the last supper and i would say do some research if you're into that because you'll you'll go down you'll go into a rabbit hole and you won't come out for a while there was definitely a lot of real science in this episode. When Stamets is coming up with a solution, he says you could thank Heisenberg. Mm-hmm. And that is because this concept of vacuums and quantum fluctuation is 
actually comes from the aptly named uncertainty principle. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, uh, which, you know, is a Heisenberg thing. Um, and the new Dr. Harai character is a specialist in astrolinguistics, xenophonology, and theoretical semiotics, which are all real things. He also in, he also enjoys a good snack, I'd like to point out. Yeah, he does a lot of snacking. I did <laughs> he that. does. I <laughs> There are two scenes where he's snacking. <laughs> I guess that's his thing. I know actors hate that because you have to right. every shot you have to be eating, and then yeah, they have tricks for spitting it out. But I yeah. thought it was. I mean, at first it's like, oh, they put some snacks out. How nice! And then he's the one <laughs> snacking. And I think it was, you know, he was the sort of looser, like he's laughing at Kovacs' jokes and then explaining the joke and then saying it was funny. So I think he was just trying to be sort of. A, I mean, he definitely caught my eye. <laughs> that guy and he's an actor who's done a time mean, he's been in almost every show you've ever seen if you look at his history another thing this episode did is we've always wanted to learn more about the bridge crew so that all season long they're they they're doing these things with the bridge crew which are great right oh let's have the bridge crew show that they you know have lives um you know so we learn one likes to go skiing and you know detmer and oh just want to go to the beach and drink Mai Tais, which sounds like fun. <laughs> but the way that this was all done was so heavy handed because it was all about, you know, does Michael and the president tell everyone right. about earth and danger? And like 10 seconds after we should, you know, should we tell them that earth is in danger? All of them start talking about these cool things they want to do on Earth. And it's like, wow. I agree. That part felt forced. What I did like with the bridge crew this time was that their new guy, Christopher, was always looking super nervous. <laughs> and everybody else had this bigger sense of, I'm going to say it, discovery um, and exploration and excitement. Even though they were going into this dangerous thing, they had that great Star Trek attitude of we're doing something nobody else has ever done and we're going somewhere cool and they're excited about it. And he's sort of scared. And I, I thought that was better and more interesting than the reminiscing about Earth. Yeah, there's a sense that I've always gotten from this character, you know, Galaxy Quest. He reminds me of the guy, you know, the Sam Rockwell character, almost like he's the one you expect is not going to make it you know, through the episode, as it were. And it's almost meta, like he acts like he knows he's the one that's not going to make right. it. He, he acts <laughs> like he knows he's wearing a red shirt. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Well, I think that's a great lead into the big thing that we want to talk about. Right. So I got from the beginning of this episode that they, and even last episode, that the galactic barrier is a big deal, which it is, even in the 32nd century. Vance said, you know, we've never done this before. Let's not get into how that's technically not true. I guess you know. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen it a couple of times. You know, what he's saying is even in the 32nd century, they are not popping in and out of the galaxy. It's just kind of not done. And for good reason, because it's like a boiling cauldron of nightmares at the edge of the galaxy. And there's nothing out there. So why would you do it anyway? But... <laughs> Everyone saying goodbye to the, the to the people who stayed behind, it all felt very like, I'm never going to see you again. It did. Like, Saru and Bryce, that was a big one. Well, and Vance and the president. And the president going at all gave me a bit of a, a Corbamite maneuver vibe. Like, maybe 
she'll be left behind to facilitate some kind of ongoing conversation with the 10C if it gets to that. Yeah, I could see that. I was like, was it like Bailey and Corbomite maneuver? Was it a V'ger melding thing? I don't know, but something. I don't think she's coming back. No, no matter I think, what. And well, I think as, it might be even bigger than that. Yeah, and again, Saru tried to have a final goodbye with Tarina. He thought that was it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I need to tell you I like you because I may never see you again. Right. Vance at one point said, you know, Discovery may not be coming back. And, you know, so, yeah, they're certainly setting up the stakes. I think that there could be something, this is, could be, you know, tinfoil hat, but there could be something else going on here. Something possibly profound for the show, which is they may never come back. This may be the beginning of something entirely different where maybe discovery is going to go to another galaxy. I was, Definitely getting that same vibe. And this is going to sound stupid, but I, I, I think this was actually a clue when Kovic said to all the delegates who were going. And by the way, the fact that he wasn't going is another piece of evidence. Mm-hmm. Who stays and who goes is important because, you know, Tilly's on the station and non is back with, you know, with them somewhere. Vance is back. You know, there's there's a line of who's on the ship and who's not on the ship now. We kind of know. It, very much like in season two, who stayed behind. So Kovic says when they're talking about delegates going and he mentions a three-hour tour. And, <laughs> you know, to people of a certain age, you immediately know that's a reference to Gilligan's Island, you know, which was about a group of people who go out on a ship and end up you know, stranded on a deserted island. For many seasons. For many, and, many seasons. <laughs> and when Saru is like, well, it's, you know, is calling him on the three-hour thing making no sense. He says, it's a figure of speech. Yeah. Like, just to make sure that we got it. Now, of course, some people may think this is more proof that he's a time traveler because how does he know about the Gilligan's Island? <laughs> I think Gilligan's Island just survives into the 32nd century, that it's been remastered into holograms you know and you know well christine from the trek movie team would be so happy to know that because it is one of her favorites i just think it's funny that i randomly mentioned gilligan in last week's episode um (laughs) it is is true no but i mean i'm not hanging my hat on gilligan i'm thinking that (laughs) because he already has one but i'm bump they've they've done two seasons in the 32nd century they've essentially done their mission they saved the universe now they've kind of helped rebuild the Federation. The one missing piece, which has been mentioned multiple times, including the beginning of season one, so I think this is important, is the development of a new kind of ship that can help, you know, reset the Federation with a new type of drive. So is it the prototype that's in Book's ship now? If if someone can figure out how to use it without being Book or Stamets, or is it the 10C power source but once that's solved, then they're they're kind of done for fixing the Federation and helping the Federation rebuild itself. And so maybe it's time for them to move on to new pastures. And, uh, you know, what's uh, what's more newer in pasture than a whole new galaxy where there's just you won't run into any anything. Everything's new every week. Everything's new. Right. And so that is a lot for that crew. I mean, this is the second time they have to say goodbye to everything, if that's what's going on. Yes, they have 
made some roots in the 32nd century, but they're taking those roots with them. So Saru's got Tarina, Michael's got Book, who's gonna who's right behind him. Uh, so he's coming along probably. He better, but yeah, right. He is. Stamets and Culber have Adira, but they're coming along for the ride, right? So there's really no major connections except you know Vance, I guess. They're well, pals I, with Vance, but uh, I also felt like. If this is the case, which I th- I think you're making a strong case that I agree with, um, I think that there will be communication. So Bryce stays behind. I think it's because um, Ronnie Rowe has another gig, personally. That's yeah. what I think it is. Um, and I think that it's, you know, Saru set, talks about the opportunity. He says, I'm excited for the opportunities that you'll have, which I assume was a little bit of Doug Jones talking to Ronnie Rowe. It's kind of sweet. But the fact that he's working on this, communication and he said it might take us a while but we're going to figure it out means that there might be opportunities for vance to still be talking to them while they're there yeah and he talked about what it would mean if they made this breakthrough and they could communicate through the galactic barrier and what a big deal that was right we did learn an important thing which is the spore drive only works up to the edge of the galaxy and not through it which we kind of wondered like what is the range of the spore drive? And it, the range is nine light years from the edge, apparently. Right. Now, would it work in another galaxy? Would that galaxy have its own mycelial network? That's a possibility. Right. Because who knows what's inside the hyperfield at, you know, 10C. Maybe it's an entire universe inside that field. Maybe that field itself is a doorway to another dimension. I mean, the possibilities are endless, but I think this season is going to end on a cliffhanger where we don't know where Discovery is going, but I'm betting it is not back home at HQ. That's, I'm yeah. going to put down that marker. I think all signs are pointing in that direction. They may easily just decide in season five to say, you know what, let's just go back home, you know, but they could give themselves the opportunity at least to not do that and uh i think this episode definitely set that set up that possibility Mm -hmm. but i think you're right i think something big is gonna happen i also have deep concerns that tarina is not gonna survive yeah things are going so well that you know with her and saru (laughs) that it just i hate i hate to imagine it but something tragic is gonna happen i feel with her or with president relic or with both of them someone's gotta die right that, yeah. those, those are the stakes. Tarka, someone. That Christopher dude, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, it's so obvious he's going to die that I just hope he doesn't. Because <laughs> he has such dead man walking vibe anyway. I know. I know. <laughs> and he looks so scared. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure why, but they mentioned that Michael's mother wasn't on Navarre. Why did they have to say that? Well, so there are a couple of possibilities, right? So possibility one is, are all those planets going to be destroyed by the DMA and right, then like, Michael's mom can still show up? Right. Are they going to blow up Vulcan again? Like how many, you know, yeah. like, poor Vulcan. Of course, it's Michael's two homes. Yes. <laughs> like it always. So in a way it was, don't forget, Michael's mom is always important. You know, it's, I didn't know why they mentioned that either, but you know, there was a reason. One more thing just to factor into the whole theory that they're, not coming back is there was a lot of random talk about loading in supplies. There are a lot of supplies. Yeah. You know, so either they're going for a long journey or 
Gilligan style, they are going to be crash landed with a big hole in the side of the ship. <laughs> and they're going to be, they're going to be making a radio out of coconuts and yep. all, you know, building it's... huts and having a lot of cool outfits still in their suitcases. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We're really going out on a limb on this one. I we? know. I know. But it, it really does feel like that's something that they're heading towards. But of course there's all the uncertainty. Again, we don't know. And I feel like it's harder and harder to just not know anything. I certainly hope they don't just wrap it all up in the last 10 minutes, which I'm worried about. Yeah, I'm worried about that, too. I mean, it is. And we are supposed to feel this way. Like, that's when I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, it's not it's not a side effect. They want us to feel this uncertainty. Even that moment where they go, well, well, now we're in this bubble and we're sort of floating through, but it could be moments. It could be hours. It could be weeks. <laughs> like it's all these things that I get your theme, but it's really not satisfying as a viewer. Sometimes at least once every episode, Stamets goes, well, I don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, something like that to, to reinforce that. I will say my favorite Stamets line of the episode was when he said, I'll do my best not to kill us. And Michael yes. says, always appreciated. It's like, that was a nice little exchange. Although, again, it, that feels like a Reno line to me. Mm -hmm. Nothing against um, Anthony Rapp, but uh, I'm envisioning Tig saying that. And yeah. Well, though, there was one funny thing, too, which was, I think, right before they went, all of a sudden you saw that Stamets had helpers. Like, there were other people there yes. with him. And I was like, oh, look, it's usually just him. It's him by himself. It's him with Adira. Sometimes Culber, as he did in this one, roams in just to say hi and see what's going on. But <laughs> but there were some other crew people there. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad Stamets finally has some help. So what did you think of Michael's big speech um, where she talked about, you know, she literally name dropped where no one has gone before. I mean, I thought it was a good speech, but it was also like, I don't know. It just seemed. I didn't think it was a good speech. So I thought, first of all, they're about to go on this whole thing. And she, as soon as she started with when I was a child, I was like, oh, really? Um <laughs> And then I felt like so much of the speech was spelling out all the reiterating the uncertainty and and the pressure and all of that. And then one and then she just kind of wraps it up with, I know we'll succeed. And it didn't feel like the rallying that I was hoping for and expecting. Like before they're jumping into this thing, I think more of the positive stuff, like I know we have this challenge, but could have been we've done this before we've done this before we've overcome that and instead it was mostly just saying why it was a risky and scary proposition and she did use her catchphrase again and this time it was just kind of flat you know what was better at rallying was the bridge crew themselves were rallying each other there was a moment where they were kind of pumping each other up with their you know confidence do you remember that yeah. There was a lot of bridge in this episode. More than, I think, more than any other episode this season. I think the pacing was good on the bridge in that sense. that They, they mixed it up a little bit and the crew was really working well together. They do that thing where everyone says, I, Captain, in unison. I like that. That was a nice moment. I think there was good bridge crew dynamics here, for sure. Yep, I agree. I liked all that stuff. 
I think this would be a great episode during a binge watch. I think season four is definitely a bingeable season, um, as probably all Discovery seasons are. They're probably better binging them as opposed to what we do, which is watch them one a week. I think this season in particular is especially more suited to binging. This episode, I think, you know, we're assuming will just flow really well because it's just so much setting things up and bridging things that it just feels like it's built to flow into episode 411. All right. I have one nitpick if we're wrapping things up and we want to do it, which is in that. This is a funny one. So in that scene where we see the delegates and their snacks, you know, on Discovery, so we see Relic and we see the the president of Earth is there and we see our snacking friend is there. And then there's like this Ferengi that seriously looks like it was an empty suit, like that there was nobody inside there because the Ferengi didn't move, didn't I didn't <laughs> see any movement. And I, and, I, and I was like, you know, you wouldn't I don't know that you'd spend three hours making somebody up just to it really looked like they just like stuffed created a stuffed life-size Ferengi <laughs> and just put it in the chair. I think it was the same Ferengi that like the internet blew up over his <laughs> ears a few weeks ago, even though we've seen another Ferengi on the show that has kind of normal Ferengi ears. This is kind of droopy ear Ferengi delegate guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it had, like they're all, everyone else had lines of dialogue and we learned something. And then there is just this random Ferengi just sitting there. So who doesn't even move? Yeah. <laughs> that was definitely weird. I think I've said a few nitpicks already. Do traffic jams still exist in the uh, future? I actually, I usually hate those things, but I felt like that was a a phrase that might stick. You know, I did like, there was, besides the collection of communicators, which included one from Enterprise, I did like that there was, you know, so if we're talking Easter eggs now, there was kind of a mention of an Enterprise episode because Kovic says that the Vulcans were observing Earth for about a century. And so if you do the math from the episode Carbon Creek, it is about a century before official first contact. Yeah. So onward and upward to episode 411, right? Yeah. Let's switch to our bits of the week. My bit is last weekend, Doug Jones was honored with the chair award by the Hollywood Makeup and Hair Guild. And Sonequa Martin-Green came to honor him. And, you know, what she had to say about Doug seemed very heartfelt. So we have an article on the site and it was just, just really sweet and nice. And Doug said some really nice things and he was wearing this hilarious outfit. He looked great. <laughs> I thought he looked utterly fantastic. Very Sergeant Peppers. And so did she. She was wearing a really fascinating dress. The way that it came up at the bottom was very cool. And Discovery, by the way, won um, a makeup award during the same event. So what's your bit of the week? My bit is the week comes from our friend Noah Averback Katz who played Rin the Andorian. He's married to Mary Wiseman, but he he's had type one diabetes for, I think he said over 20 years. And so he started a Kickstarter because he's making a short film. That's a dystopian drama set during a global disaster. And he's the plot is it follows a type one diabetic and his wife on their search for a supply of insulin before it's too late. So 
Anthony Rapp is going to be directing this film. He and Mary, Noah and Mary are starring in it. Um, their goal, his goal was to raise $25,000 so they could make it. On the first day, they surpassed it. And he, Noah posted this video. You could tell he was just astounded. I mean, I wasn't astounded that he was able to do it because he's so loved by the Star Trek community. Um, and he's such an active player in the Star Trek community. But the last time I checked, which was a couple hours ago, they they were almost at $46,000. Wow. Yeah. And so he's, and this is a very personal thing for him. And we do have like an insulin pricing crisis going on right now in the United States. So it's, it's an issue that really matters to him. He talked a little bit about the tone or they posted some stuff on the tone of this film that it's going to have things, you know, a little black mirror, a little twilight zone, a little star Trek. Um, I was very happy to be a backer on it. There's going to be, I guess they're working on some fun premiums um, to give to people when they back it but it's i'm we'll be following this but i think it looks it's pretty cool and i i love that he just brings the star trek community into something like this the star trek fans can always be there for you know and 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 we don't say this enough this podcast wouldn't exist this website wouldn't exist but i love the star trek fan community and it's always great to see them rally behind something important like this so well done and yeah, and it happens. It happens for causes. It happens for fundraisers. Just taking action, like there's there's so much of it, and it can be a really beautiful thing. And I think Noah seemed so moved by it. But I feel like he's been, you know, from someone who started as he was a fan, and he was, you know, married to someone who was a cast member, and then he got to be on it. And he he really does sort of exemplify the whole Star Trek ideal all in one person with a lot of enthusiasm and nerdish excitement. He's the best. I mean, we talk about Star Trek changing lives, but this is something that if he'd, you know, tried to do it five years ago, I don't think he would have raised money this quickly. Great for him. And I'm looking forward to seeing the the final project and they have a lot of really good people on board making it. If you go to the Kickstarter page, you can see the different uh, people they've lined up already. And I love that Anthony Rapp is directing it. Yeah, I know that it's important for him to break into directing. I remember he shadowed Jonathan Frakes this season. um, And I know that he's hoping to direct in season five. I think he's been shadowing Tunde as well. He said he's been learning so much. All right. So get ready, folks. Next week, we'll have the news. We'll have our discovery review and the first episode of season two of Star Trek Picard. It's going to be a big one, folks. You might want to take the day off work. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just to listen to our podcast. For our podcast episode, which one should we put first? I'm curious how fans will watch because they'll probably release them simultaneously. So what will people watch? For, I'm, I I bet people will watch Picard first because it's yeah. the new thing, you know, and they've, they've been, been waiting. waiting. It's yeah. been a very long wait. Yeah, almost two years. Yep. So, And it's worth it. We've both seen the episode one. I think it's good. And you also don't don't you don't have to run back and binge season one to understand season two. There's so many shows I watch where so much time passes between seasons that I completely forget everything that's happened. But this is going to be fine. Even if you haven't rewatched season one for a while, don't worry. You're good. There was a good article this week. I think it was called Hiatus Brain. And it was about shows where, you know, this kind of, especially during the pandemic, shows are doing these longer hiatuses. I've run into this all the time. I did this recently with um, Ozark. I'm like, who's that guy? And why are, who are they talking about? And 
It's just, it's, you, you, you have to go back and watch the last episode again, just because you forget everything. Right. And you've watched, you know, dozens of new shows in between that season of whatever. I mean, Lost in Space. I was watching the third season. I was like, I don't, why are they here? I don't remember any of this. And I had to go back. So. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you don't really need to, you know, cause you already know enough about Star Trek just cause you are who you are as if you listen to this podcast that uh yeah you, you'll be fine yep but listen to our podcast and we'll guide you through it yes very important <laughs> <laughs> all right that's it for the week we'll see you next week thanks for listening and yes please come and tell us your comments on the podcast and yeah what do you think first discovery or picard goodbye <laughs>